the barrel starts now. Good afternoon, good evening. Swally Swede with the CUSF here for our podcast, Down the Barrel with the CUSF. Uh, with me tonight, I've got our guest Travis from Silvercore. We got Michael Stone with the CUSF, and as always, we got Dave, the president. Uh, Dave, do we have any uh, new business with CUF, CUSF right now? Yeah. Well, for starters, I'd like to, of course, thank our sponsors, uh, Cabela's Outdoor Fund. Um, they've been huge for us, uh, longtime sponsor. So big appreciation. Make sure you round up if you shop at Cabela's. Um, we got Beretta, another uh, awesome brand, awesome guns, and again, really supportive of sports shooting in Canada. Um, we got Vortex again. They're they're awesome. They they sponsor some of the rimfire stuff um, here that that we're also partnered up with, and, and they're a proud sponsor of the CUSF as well. So really appreciate them. And uh, yeah, Stittsville Shooting Ranges. Big uh, props to them. They support both the Carlton Firearms Club, the Carlton Shotgun Team, and um, yeah, now they actually sponsor the CUSF on a national level. So uh, much appreciated. And yeah, so I guess uh, what's what's new? Um, well, the big one, our charity status being approved. That's nice. uh, pr- pretty huge. So um, makes us into a registered Canadian Amateur Athletic Association. And um, yeah, as we talked about, or if, if you guys read the AGM, um, we started a new foundation, the CUSF High Caliber Foundation. So we just had some ineligible activities like our conservation program, our scholarship program. Um, so we, we, we spun that off as well as um, just starting to, to recruit some ambassadors to kind of represent ourselves to the, the general public. And these are like Olympic level shooters um, that are that are still in school and, and the like. So um, we're getting that all set up and really excited with uh, where that's going. So, yeah. Awesome. So uh, us being a, a, a charitable organization, what does that mean? Well, tax receipts for one. Tax receipts. So people can give us money and then they get them back at the end of the year. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to get all set up to that. And uh, yeah, if you support the CUSF, then you can um, yeah, put your money to us and don't give it to the government. Awesome. Win-win. Yeah. Uh, Michael, do we have anything new in guns uh, this week? Yes, well, uh, I was hoping to briefly talk about um, I Run Guns announcing that they are now buying people's prohibited CZ Scorpions. Sorry, who uh, is? There's a company called I Run Guns. They oh. are a firearms importer-exporter between Canada and the U.S. Um, I purchased a couple of firearms from them. They're a great company. Um, but uh, obviously, there's a lot of prohibited firearms out there now, um, or semi-prohibited, depends how you look at it, um, that we can't use. And they're just sitting in people's safe, thousands and millions of dollars of guns. And they've announced that they are now buying people's CZ Scorpions. This is the first time that I've seen a company um, that has the proper licenses to actually buy back people's um, now prohibited firearms, um, which is sort of interesting because the government has not made any opportunity to, you know, sell your guns back. Very controversial Mm -hmm. thing. Um, But if you have a CZ Scorpion that you can't use, now you can actually get money for it um and it'll be interesting to see whether you know ar-15s are next or you know i have a couple of uh, uh cx4 and an ar that i can't use um these would presumably be sold onto america then that's the idea mm-hmm. um i mean they haven't said explicitly what's going to happen to them how much they're giving people for they're just saying if you have one of these contact us i assume they're just in very high demand in the us right now so they're thinking let's get them out of canada hopefully at a bargain rate, people that are just looking to get some quick cash. They should have some kind of a system. I know um, I used to volunteer for an organization that rescued pit bulls because um, we have breed-specific legislation in some provinces, right? Yeah. So I guess I, they should have a way where you can track your gun and you have a picture of the new owner. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure it goes to a good home and all that, you know. Just an idea for the for your company or... Well, that's so what nice. do you guys think? Would you would you hold out or would you uh, would you sell? Give them the option. I'd I'd hold out. Yeah, I definitely hold out. <laughs> yeah, not shit. <laughs> Depends on your investment, I guess. But yeah, yeah. if you got if you got a lot of money and you're not going to get that money back from a government from a government yeah. buyback, it's really hard to say. I mean, are we going to get you know dollar for dollar MSRP compensation, or is it going to be you know you get a hundred bucks flat? And we have no idea. 
Mm-hmm. It, uh, it's all pretty scary. Anyway, moving on to something more more fun. Yeah. Um, did you have anything more? That was it. Okay. okay. Uh, so with us today, we've got Travis from Silvercore. Uh, I personally would like to recommend Silvercore. You guys licensed me a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm sending my wife your way this summer. Um, yeah. Um, you guys are in Delta in BC. That's right. Uh, you guys run courses all over the Lower Mainland. Yep. Um, why don't we start with you, Travis? What's your background? How did you get into shooting, et cetera, et cetera? Ah, good question. So I guess I was about four years old when I started shooting. When I was five, I got a, a custom-made little Stevens 22 takedown rifle. A, uh, it was shortened barrel, shortened stock, so it could fit my little five-year-old frame. And I, I can still remember trying to hold the thing up and being bent right back when I'm using it. And, you know, as a preteen, I would do a little bit of competitive shooting. In my teenage years, I got involved with the Army Cadet program, and they've got some programs there for, for shooting. And I wasn't doing super great at school, but I was excelling in the Army Cadet program, and I was excelling in the things that interested me, like firearms. And I started doing some courses at the Justice Institute and Eventually, when I was 18 years old, I got myself employed by an armored car company. I thought, hey, this will be great. I get to carry a gun for, for work. And uh, it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be, but it was a good introduction. Mm. And uh, I was still in high school, actually. It was uh, around 94 when I started doing the firearm safety course training. And they, they just brought that out. And I thought, this is great. I can use that method of instruction and the... Uh, the leadership and man management training that the um, uh, did through DND through the cadet program and use it for something that I was I was quite interested in. So I started doing firearm safety courses on the side until well, geez, I guess it was about 2003, and I thought I better make a go of this. I've been doing this with toe kind of in the water. Let's just jump in and see what happens. So I incorporated mm. Silver Corps, and I've never looked back. So since then, we've done training, well, we've trained a lot of people in both firearm safety and hunter education, but as well started into uh, use of force training and firearms training for professionals. So we do work with the armor car companies that I would work for. I was in providing work for them and I mm-hmm. was um, doing training in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario. We were doing gunsmithing. I uh, picking up some law enforcement agencies for extended gunsmithing work. And I, sorry, you, so you were smithing in house or did you send out or how did, no, that was in house. So before silver cord training, I had mm-hmm. silver cord gunworks okay. and silver cord gunworks was, that was a lot of fun, but there was a huge learning curve in there on the business side, particularly. So I was doing gunsmithing for the armored car companies and that was, well and good, but I was also taking in firearms for the general public and I was doing mostly, uh, rifle work, some handgun work, but like specialized handgun stuff. There was other people we'd send it to. And I was, uh, you know, cutting, crowning, threading, chambering, milling. I remember one of the local police agencies had me, um, shorten some shotgun barrels and put on some, uh, uh, go string sites and, you know, just stuff that the agencies, they've got their own armors, but it kind of exceeded their ability level or what they had tooling for. So mm-hmm. I, I was doing that for, uh, for a number of years until I finally made the, the wise decision rather than doing gunsmithing for everybody in the world, concentrate on departmental firearms work, do work mm-hmm. for agencies that have one platform or several platforms, but hundreds of them. And I, so I, I kind of branched out from doing the individual stuff just to do the government agency and private security stuff there. So, yeah. Where does yeah. That once you in? have that contract, I mean, that's guaranteed business right there. It is. And they pay their yeah. bills and they're not yeah. trying to uh, feed you in uh, last year's freezer burnt uh, moose. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> everyone doesn't become your best friend all of a sudden. And, uh, if you find it difficult to, uh, to charge them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was good. And then we, I became a master instructor and started training. Well, it's easy. A large number of the other instructors here in the lower mainland. Um, and some throughout British Columbia. Uh, and I've 
trained up as instructors and some people would shake their head and say, Travis, why would you do that? You're just creating competition. I think competition is a good thing. And I mm. think the more people that have access to this government mandated safety training, the better. Mm-hmm. What, why make that a barrier to entry? So well, yeah, did that for a while and, um, lots of, uh, lots of fun adventures between O3 and now, and now I've started doing, uh, uh, the silver core podcast did that about a year ago. I have no business doing a podcast, but I jumped in and figured, well, let's figure out how this works. And man, I've been having a ton of fun with that. We've had, uh, guy Kramer who invented the invisible cloak. Sounds funny. You'd shake your head, but take a look at the videos on YouTube for hyperstealth technology. And he brought the thing into the office and I got to try it. Pretty cool. Brilliant fellow. Uh, Colin Dowler. That was another one. He fought off a grizzly bear with his pocket knife while in the grizzly bear's mouth. Um, wow. Yeah, no, I mean, he's horrendous injuries and I, I flew over to his house and that was my first on the road podcast. And, uh, it was highly edited because it was quite an emotional ordeal for him to mm-hmm. tell the story. And I wanted to be able to get it across in the best possible way. Oh, no him. doubt. PTSD is fuck on that. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah that was, uh, it was a difficult one, but man, it was an interesting, if you want to hear a, a courageous story, you don't, you don't just for the listeners and viewers and for us as well, you don't remember what episode that was. Yeah. Everybody asked me this. Uh, no, I, I can find it out, but I think it's called now you're bleeding too bear. Uh, cause when he was, he says, I don't remember if I said anything prior to the bear. He says, I think I did, but the more I think about it now, maybe I didn't, but I do know for a fact that after I jabbed him in the neck with my buck knife, he had a little, I think it was a folding buck knife and he saw a big splurt of blood come out of the bear's neck. He remembers screaming out loud. Now you're bleeding too bear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. That's awesome. Mark Horsley. Wow. Yeah. Staff sergeant. Yeah. Oh, Ep- go on. Sorry. Episode nine. I just looked it up. Episode oh. nine. If you guys want to check out that story, silver core podcast, episode nine. You're better at promoting this than I am. That's fantastic. Oh, you know what? It's like you were saying at the end of our episode, I give a shout out to Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday podcasts as well, because we're, uh, we're yes. all, we're all like, we're all doing the same thing here. We're all in the same world. We're all trying to enjoy what we're passionate about and share that passion with others. And essentially Mm -hmm. that's what the silver core podcast is. I try and look for positive stories. Yeah. There's a couple that get a bit political, but they still Mm -hmm. have a positive light to it. Yeah. And share that positivity. Like tomorrow, uh, Nikki Van Schindel, she survived 51 days alone in the Arctic on history channels alone TV program. And man, has she got some, uh, just a positive attitude. I think people will really enjoy listening to that one. Yeah. Uh, attitude, yeah. attitude really keeps people alive in those situations. I saw a thing on Facebook a couple of years ago about some guy who was, his boat sank in the middle of the fucking ocean in some part of the world. And he was underwater at the bottom of the sea for four days in his upturned boat. And he just wow. hung on. Yeah. He just fucking stayed down there. Yeah, that's what makes or breaks it. And, yeah. and in any situation, the, uh, iron will to survive or to persevere is all going to be on attitude. And when you were talking earlier about the, uh, uh, the buyback for the CZs there due to the firearms prohibition, and you look at, this is a fight that gun owners are, are essentially enduring at the moment. And your attitude and perspective will play a very big role in how we, how this one plays out, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing I'm actually, um, I've uh, been asked by the courts to be a subject matter expert and I'm working on that one. So that's, um, uh, another aspect, I guess, to the, uh, to the silver core brand. Mm-hmm. While we are on the subject of podcast, we might as well mention yours. When is yours? We release every two weeks, uh, mm-hmm. Tuesdays. I've mm-hmm. been playing around with different days and for the last number of months, Tuesdays is kind of where I've landed. So I'm not interrupting other gun podcasts mm-hmm. and trying, trying to, um, trying to find a fit in there. So every two weeks on Tuesdays. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, we, we bounced around a little bit, uh, first due to scheduling and then we picked the day and then realized somebody else already has that day and going back even further, when we picked the name of the podcast, there's already a group with that name. So we're like, oh, fuck. So that's how we (laughs) came up with, um, what was it? Well, what were we going to call it to begin with, Dave? It wasn't down the barrel. It was on target or something like that. Yeah. On target, I think. Yeah. 
Down the barrels, right? It's good. Oh, really, at the end yeah. of the day, like the name is very important because the name will tell the audience kind of what the podcast is about. Yeah. That's where the Silvercore podcast falls short. It says nothing about what yeah. we're talking about, yeah. but I'm hoping that in, in the long run here, that that will provide me greater freedom to move and not be just pigeonholed in, in one specific area. If I can find areas of positivity that correlate to our passion for the shooting sports or hunting or being outside or whatever it might be, mm -hmm. then uh, maybe that's where the name, the Silvercore podcast will give me a little bit more lateral movement. Yeah. And that brings it more mainstream as well. Like here's the thing about environment and nature and oh, here's a gun and then blah, 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 right. Mm -hmm. I think it helps brings it a little, little bit more mainstream that way, which is good. And that's a difficult thing too. I mean, firearms have a social stigma. I mean, like it or not, there is a certain perspective around firearms and having a show that's specifically geared towards firearms. It's going to have a lot of people that absolutely love it. And it's going to draw a fair amount of heat as well too. Mm-hmm. To be able to branch a little bit further past the firearm centric community into the outdoors community, into communities where people have similar interests and ambitions, the competitive shooting world can have correlations to other competitive sports to be mm -hmm. able to kind of brand that a little further, uh, is part of the endeavor with the silver core podcast so that it will have the firearms back end and backbone, but it's it hopefully will appeal to a larger community than just the firearms types. And maybe they'll turn around this larger community and say, hmm, maybe guns aren't that bad. Or, you know, CUSF has an event coming up. Maybe I want to go check that out. And that's, that's part of the, uh, uh ambition here anyways. Mm -hmm. And I think like, that's all it is, right. It's just bridging that gap and getting somebody behind the trigger once. And I mean, we all, we all know how it is. You get behind the trigger once and you, and you get it. You're like fucking right. I like shooting. Right. I mean, the reason why you guys are doing this is because you're passionate about it. You like what you do and you want to introduce it to others in a safe and legal way. Exactly. So often we can become embroiled in the politics behind it. It's really easy to do. And I've like you guys specifically try to stay away from the politics. We do have professional organizations that are doing a great job for firearms owners and firearms owners should be involved with them who are fighting for gun rights and getting proper messaging out there. The Silver Core podcast is simply there as a means to share that passion of adventure with others. And I get the impression that's similar to what CUSF is doing as well. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and like the the way I look at it is like building our community. So if we build our community and we can, right now I feel like our community sometimes has kind of a, a negative side to it when you're when you're looking in, right? Because everybody always just sees all these gun owners; they're always upset with the laws, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's never a positive light. Whereas if we can introduce students towards the shooting sports, get them out there having fun with a club, a bunch of uh, like-minded students, um, with, with similar like, interests and hobbies, then, then yeah, there, it's like the, the proper, I guess, I guess, setting and environment to, to understand who we are as a community and then continue to grow it and, and build it. Right. Totally Dave. And, and, you know, oftentimes I think that firearms owners like any organization or group can be stuck in an echo chamber. And when you talk about that negativity. If you come outside the firearms community, unless you're a like fervent anti-firearms person, most people don't care. They just don't care. They don't want to hear about shootings that are happening. They don't want to see firearms being used in an irresponsible or illegal way, but most people couldn't be bothered one way or the other. And that negativity, I think that firearms owners tend to see is because they're surrounded by other firearms owners who are trying to trying to stick up for something or justify to others, something that shouldn't require any justification. So I, I think sometimes that negative aspect of firearms might be a little, um, over embellished. It's self, well, I think it's very self-destructive. It's, it's selfie. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some big word in my head. Self-fulfilling. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Ah, no, it's more like. Like you're not doing anybody any favors because like you're saying the echo chamber, that word has come up on a couple of podcasts and a couple of these after episode 
podcast as well. And it's it's a bad environment because it, it people people are too focused. Oh shit, people are too focused on the differences they have and not on the similarities. And right. I mentioned in a couple of episodes, I'm left wing as fuck, but I still like guns. So we're all here because we like guns. So let's just focus on that and we worry about the rest of the other day, right? Like I love it. No election for a couple of years. So let's argue like the week of the election. And then for now, let's just keep it on guns. Well, there's 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 no reason that you can't be friends with somebody that doesn't hold the same political yeah. views. And I, totally. I think that's a lot. It's a huge part of the the problem these days is everybody's so like they're, they're in their trenches and it's us versus them versus mm. it's, everybody's everybody's a human, right? Mm-hmm. But, so no, sorry, go ahead. Dave. Well, I, I just I just wanted to bring it back because um, I think you made a super good point, Travis, and I think you can speak to this too, Michael. Like like my experience at university going up to, to Ottawa, well, coming from Calgary, I was like, oh, all these, all these Ottawa students. <laughs> so, so left wing, like this firearms club, sure, I'll join it, but what, I, we're never going to have events. And like, right, I'm so negative about it. But after getting there, joining the club and talking to students in the hallway, like, like, being like hey, you want to come try shooting? Like time and time again, people, people were very open to it and they were just, they're just ignorant. They just didn't know what our laws were like. They didn't know where the ranges were. They didn't know what, what it required to, to, to get a gun and to go actually go shoot. And you brought them up to the range and they were hooked. You offered a pal course a couple of weeks later and they were, they were into getting it. So, I mean. Absolutely. I had many of those same experiences starting the club at UBC. Lots of people um, who never thought about guns just diving right into it, especially I found a great uh, demographic for us was overseas students, international students coming to Canada, coming from somewhere like China or Singapore or Hong Kong, where there's just no access to this kind of thing. So it's a great opportunity to get involved in something that they just couldn't do back home. That's a really good point, actually. That's a very good demographic to have. Yeah, I'd say honestly, the, the UBC club is like 80, 90% Asian guys. <laughs> We're <Yeah>. just, <laughs> I mean, they have the money and they have the, the interest. So they're they're a great hook for it. Yeah. Fucking mm-hmm. right. Cool. All right. So Silvercore podcast. You also have a Silvercore uh business. Uh, so your bread and butter is teaching the courses. It's training. Our be- bread and butter mm-hmm. is training and treat creating training courses for other companies. I mean, we've got the provincial contract for online hunter education. We do uh training work uh for armor car companies, um uh, Parks Canada, BC Parks, we created a uh, their entire train the trainer program and student program and and put them through that. Um, Chevron, mineral exploration companies, uh, that that's our bread and butter. And yeah, we also do firearm safety course and hunter education. And of mm-hmm. course, it's something very that I'm very passionate about because I want to see more people out there enjoying what I enjoy safely and legally and we've been doing that for well like i say since about 94. no kidding and there's a couple of you guys there now right there's a few of us i think at our peak pre-covid we had about 30 in all of our staff uh now it's not that number but we've got a uh, we still have a number number of instructors across the lower mainland and on the island and mm-hmm. uh uh, then we've got some contractors in other areas across the country. Mm-hmm. But so you guys teach course on the island as well. We do, yeah. And how far uh, inland, so to speak, do you guys reach with your courses? V- well, Victoria and Nanaimo on the island, and then inland. Yeah. Uh, let's see, we've got uh, from about North Vancouver out to Chilliwack is sort of that's our, a decent reach, right? That's that's pretty good. Any any uh, plans of expanding, or that's busy enough? You know, that's busy enough. Uh, making new instructors is one of my, my passions and that helps the expansion. So there's, uh, I'm, I'm constantly lobbying the firearms program to lift the moratorium on making new instructors. And it was, um, I think, uh, I'm trying to remember how many years ago it was when the moratorium was enacted. They said, you know what? No more instructors, not making any more. Mm-hmm. I said, you guys can't do that. Right. And back and forth, back and forth. And so finally I said, tell you what, I'll talk to the lawyers and see what we can do. Maybe legally compel them to do, to do the job there Mm -hmm. only to find that in that instance, there was no legal framework that compels a firearms officer to make 
instructors. So I had to find another way. And luckily I was able to find another way. The moratorium was listed. We got a batch of new instructors through and they've kind of now taken the stance. There's no moratorium. We're just not making instructors at the moment. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're back to that. All right. So, but there's no, there's no cap or anything in place. At the present moment, there is no official cap. Okay. So what, what does it kind of take to like, say I'm very passionate about <clears throat> firearms. I love teaching other people and I want to take that to kind of the next level. How do I get involved and become a firearms instructor? So if you want to be a firearms instructor that's licensed through the RCMP Canadian firearms program, you're going to need their blessing. So you're going to submit your CV and ask them, can I be trained by a master instructor? And they're going to look through it and they're going to do a little bit more of an enhanced checks because maybe you got your license and you go through your criminal record checks and background checks, but maybe you're not the type of person that they necessarily want around uh, vulnerable individuals. Or maybe there's something that came up that wouldn't disqualify you for your firearms license, but they don't want you teaching for whatever reason. So they'll screen and they'll look at that. The advice that I'd give to people is if you look at your CV and you say, well, I shoot IPSC and IDP, IDPA and I do three gun and I'm at the range every weekend. That's not necessarily the type of person that the firearm center is looking for to have as an instructor. If you can emphasize your communication skills, your ability to uh, deal with difficult people or to mitigate problems, uh, having a background or interest in firearms is definitely an asset. But being able to relay that into information to others is a greater asset when becoming an instructor. Uh, being able to show that you're not biased, uh, that you'll take anybody in provided they meet the criteria and uh, be of strong moral character and an upstanding individual. Highlight all of those points because the last thing the firearm center wants to do is get somebody who's dry firing 10 hours a day in front of the mirror, right? And, and has very strong political views that may be contrary to what the firearms program really wants to have out there, which is another really difficult thing for instructors is you kind of zip your mouth. You are, but a humble representative of the firearms program relaying information. And as much as you want and have an opinion on certain things, be professional. Keep those to yourself during your course. So th that would be what I would recommend to somebody if they want to be an instructor. From there, they then have to see a master instructor. A master instructor puts them through, depends on where they are, a uh, proper training program. And then it goes back to the firearms program for final seal of approval. Awesome. Well, I know one of my buddies out in uh, Victoria there, he wants to become an instructor. So tell so him. Ask. <laughs> Tell him to put his application in with a firearms program. There are a number of people looking to be instructors at this very moment that are sitting in a queue on a waiting list. And the BC firearms office is not making new instructors at this moment, but they will go through and take a look at availability of instructors in that area. I don't necessarily agree with that, but they'll say, hey, is the area saturated with instructors? Well, we don't really need to make another instructor there. If you're in a remote area where there are no instructors, you'll be placed at a higher level of urgency. Personally, I think competition drives innovation and it'll keep the costs down for the students and make sure that the people who are offering the courses are going to be of the highest quality and caliber. If you've got a poor reputation, you're not going to have any punters coming in to take your course. So my perspective is take a look at the people who are properly vetted and provide them the opportunity to be instructors and let free market re weed them out. Mm -hmm. 100%. We had a, I, I'm Swedish back home. When I, when I left school, I worked security a little bit and there's a couple of levels. You can work security in Sweden. One is licensed for the police. You get to carry handcuffs. You get to do a little bit more stuff. Mm -hmm. And each region, uh, they had a similar system where they only gave out a certain amount of licenses because they wanted the people that were licensed to get enough work to to keep them busy, uh, so some some towns or some municipalities, it was very hard to get work or to get licensed because there was a there was a backup because people they already had a lot of security stuff working there. So I, I can I can appreciate from the government side of things why they want to do it that way. Sometimes the market is is a little bit of like this is what we need versus this is what we can offer. 
it can become rather nepotistic and it becomes difficult for a third party to um, be able to separate themselves from that conversation for an issuing body to say, well, we got enough over here. And somebody might turn around and say, well, hold on a second. You're just saying that because your buddy Bob is teaching in that area, right? Mm -hmm. And it can become a little bit difficult. And I don't think the course alone was ever designed to be a livelihood for anybody. Mm -hmm. True enough. Um, so why don't, why don't we uh, talk about our little partnership uh, with Silvercore that we're, uh, we're starting here. Let's do that. So CUSF, you guys have been doing some pretty cool things. And we, Dave, you and I have been going back and forth for a while, just looking at ways that we can create a, a, a proper sustainable program with CUSF. And one of the things that we're looking at, so we have online training and we have in-person training, being able to provide discounts for CUSF active members on our in-person training. And we've got a gamut of in-person training. We've got rifle, handgun, shotgun training we have and licensing training. And we're able to provide a discount for all of those members and a very substantial discount for anybody looking to take the firearm safety course, because that's the gateway into being a proper legal licensed firearms owners owner. And if you're a university student and you belong to CUSF, you could probably appreciate a little bit of a break on the price in order to get yourself licensed. So you can continue doing these things with the program. So those are a few of the areas that we're looking at. And of course we've got the club as well. We've got the silver core club, which has got 10 million in liability insurance throughout North America discounts on a whole ton of different, uh, uh, retailers, uh, some local, some across Canada, uh, a couple new ones that are coming down the pipe that the members will be able to look in on the back end, but won't be able to look, it's not going to be advertised on the front because the manufacturers have asked us not to advertise the special rate pricing that's coming out. So there's, there's that. And then we do club shoots. We do, um, uh, fun shoots. Let's see. The last one we did was, uh, pre COVID and I was at the Vancouver gun club and we cooked up a bunch of Huli Huli chicken and did sporting clays. And we had Arc'teryx involved and we had, um, Poco military and reliable gun and, uh, shooting organizations were, were there as well, giving away thousands of dollars in prizes. Bradley smoker. That was another one we did. Uh, the, uh, members didn't have to do anything. Just be a member of the Silver Core Club and a uh, lucky member got himself a thousand dollar Bradley smoker. And Bradley's actually just up the road from her office of one of their top of the line professional series ones. And then uh, firearms that have been given away, handguns, rifles, shotguns. Um, yeah, we did a postal shoot. That was a fun one. So all across Canada, mail in your targets, have it signed by the uh, RSO or club director or executive, just keep people honest and have a, uh, have a witness to your, uh, uh, to the targets that you shoot, send them on in. And, uh, we had local stores involved with that as well. I think we had a, uh, Smith and Wesson M and P that someone won. Uh, we had a, a Glock 17, um, some rifles, uh, some stuff from the last arms, which was just right around the corner from us as well. So yeah, we, we do what we can within the club to promote the shooting sports and, and, uh, and hunting as, as much as we can. And that's kind of what we're looking at doing with CUSF as well. Yeah. And I'm I, I want... excited on both uh, the national sure, level go ahead, as well as I think, sorry. Yeah. Like, uh, I think on, on the national level, as well as like, uh, Michael Stone here is our, is our BC clubs manager. So I'm, I'm sure like there's lots of opportunity for, um, UBC as well as, uh, B our club at BCIT, as well as our mm. club at, at yeah, U of Vic to, to get involved and, uh, do some, some in-person stuff with you guys. Right. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. There's tons of demand, um, in students for courses. Every time we host one, it sells out and I'm sure we can, um, direct more people towards silver core. Um, I mean, that was the first club I joined. Um, you know, I wanted to buy a pistol and I wasn't ready to commit to a full, you know, 200, $300 range membership. So I was like, you know what, this is a great temporary option to uh, just try some of the ranges out and get my ATT. So it's a great option. 
you know, no, I was going, not, I was sorry, ahead, I was Polly. just going to go, I was going to go in a little bit more on that when we're talking about the Silver Core Club. So the Silver Core Club. So you offer, I believe, it's fifty dollars. That's right. Fifty dollars. Well, why don't you forty nine dollars? Well, I'll give a little bit. I'll give a little bit of background because I don't mm -hmm. know if anybody has ever heard this story before about why the Silver Core Club came around. Uh, we're going back a number of years. I think it was 2004, 2005, some, sometime around there. One of the local firearms officers said, hey, Trav, just to let you know, something happened back east. Kid brought a gun to school, elementary school. It was a show and tell thing, just never came out of the backpack. Nobody got hurt, but all the firearms officers from across the country are going to be going to some special meeting. We're all got, we're getting flown back East and I'll let you know what it was all about when I come back. Sure. Sounds good. I say he comes on back and says, I'm sorry. I can't tell you. We had to sign an NDA, but I can tell you that there is a three pronged approach to limiting legal firearms ownership in Canada. I can't tell, I can't say what that is. So not illegal, but limiting legal firearms ownership. And it really had me scratching my head. And very shortly after that, all of a sudden, the requirement to belong to a gun club or a range became mandatory to get your ATT, your authorization to transport, which is now rolled into your restricted firearms license. And so they've gone and taken that extra step of saying, well, if you want to get your restricted firearms license or renew it, you're going to have to meet these requirements. And so I looked at it and I told this fellow, I said, I've looked through the act and I've looked through the regulations and I don't see how this is tenable. I don't see how this is a, a lawful interpretation. And he says, well, you can fight this and it'll be tied up in the courts for years, but why don't you just start a club? I said, what do you mean? He says, gun club or range? So I did. I went to the lawyers and I had the lawyers draft everything up. And we had this silver core club and I operated that, I think it was $5, $5 belong to the club. It's a nonprofit group and it costs way more than what we're bringing in for me to be able to sustain that. But I looked at it and said, if this is going to be a barrier for firearms owners, and it's a ridiculous sort of barrier, because there's people that can't get into clubs in some places because there's waiting lists, then how do I limit that barrier and have more people to be involved in the shooting sports? And I was happy for Silver Core to pay for that for the nonprofit club. And it just so happened to share the same name. So, hey, there's, there's added benefit of being able to have some uh, bleed off brand recognition out of there. And that was greeted with a lot of very happy people and some not so happy people. Some, some ranges looked at that and says, hold on, what are you doing? We got all these people now that have to now join us. Look at all the money that we're going to make. And I said, well maybe we work with you and send people over to your range. I'd much rather people get range memberships and join the ranges, but I don't want this to be a barrier for people to be able to get involved in the shooting sports. And I think if we look at it from the money aspect, it's a little bit short-sighted. It's quite short-sighted because the long-term play on that is you're just not going to have people in the shooting sports. So I pushed really, really hard on that. The price has gone up from the $5 to the $49 where it is now, but so is all the benefits that are associated with it. And it's all across Canada. That, that's sort of, sort of where the Silver Core Club came about um, and a little bit about what we do. Mm -hmm. So what is included? $49 gets you club membership. It gets you the club membership. You're included on our postal shoots and our club shoots. You're included on the, the random draws that we have. Like I said, the last one was at uh, Bradley smoker. That was a pretty cool one. Uh, in-person club level shoots have been something that has been in British Columbia. I mean, we did one at, um, the range Langley, fantastic indoor shooting facility here mm -hmm. in the, in the lower mainland. Bring a jacket. Uh, <laughs> it can be a little cold, yep. can it? Uh, the Vancouver gun club. Uh, of course the, the postal matches and trying to organize them in other provinces has always been a little bit difficult, but maybe, maybe that's something that we can work on with CUSF and some of your clubs. If Silver Corps is able to support you with our, our resources to be able to get some of these matches together. And then you've got the discounts at the, um, uh, the retailers and you get the added benefit of 
being able to meet the requirements, the policy requirements that the firearms program puts in place to get your restricted license. And that was one that uh, in every province and territory they ask for some they ask for your gun club or your range membership uh, a little bit more aggressively than other places but in Ontario they don't because you had one individual there who is a very bright fellow who was a silver core club member who wasn't a lawyer he's a chartered accountant by trade who decided to take it to court and we worked with him. I'm not going to say we did the heavy lifting because he sure did a heck of a lot of heavy lifting on that one, but we definitely assisted in the process of having the club membership or range membership not be a requirement in, uh, in Ontario. So, uh, really long-term, if we're able to do that in every province, I'd be a happy camper. We'll just see, uh, see how things play out. It definitely says a lot because, in a way, it's almost like killing your own business. I, uh... Well, it's not a business; it's a nonprofit. Yeah, if well, it was something that was bringing me money, then maybe maybe I'd have to take a different look at it. But personally, I would rather see people want to belong to something than be forced to belong to something. If they only belong to your gun club or your range because they have to meet a uh, not even a legislative or a regulated a policy interpretation from the local issuing authority then your club or your range is doing something wrong. They should want to be a part of your club or your range and have the added benefit of being able to meet any policy requirements that might be out there. And unfortunately, not everybody has access. Not everybody has the funds to spend. I mean, some ranges are getting pretty pricey, right? Mm -hmm. um, and not everybody lives in an area where they're going to be close to one. So it, it definitely helps solve some of those problems. Absolutely. You mentioned, you mentioned there was some insurance as well on that. Yeah. So that's 10 million third party liability insurance, and that's good throughout North America. So as a Canadian in going into the States, if you go do something and it's anything that's covered under what the club does and really what the club does is pretty broad. And we've got something that we're working on that I was hoping to have launched for now, but I think we're about five months behind and it's going to increase drastically increase what the club does as well as what silver core does. And in turn, it's going to increase what the insurance policy does, but essentially a third party liability insurance would be if you go and do something on somebody else's property and cause damage, uh, that's where you will be covered. And in areas like in the lower mainland here, people who want to, do any waterfowl hunting, they need to get, uh, have show proof of insurance to the, uh, Fraser Valley, um, migratory bird to get your Fraser Valley migratory bird permit. There's other areas across the country that have the same thing. And this meets those requirements as well. So this would be for your hunters as well, right? The ones right. That, that ones that own a gun go shoot in a while, don't care about range memberships, but they want to own certain things. That's right. So if you're out hunting and you're setting up a blind in an area that you you, you made a mistake, uh, you, you end up damaging property or, or having an issue that, uh, uh, there that requires third-party liability insurance. This would cover it. Awesome. Cause question. I know that that's probably going to sell it for a lot of people. Sorry, go ahead, Michael. I just say, I don't know if you can speak on this, but is it possible to differentiate between the insurance you're selling and what the CCFR, um, sells us their insurance policy? I would have to look at what the CCFR has on their okay. insurance policy for me to know. And I would have to have a better background in insurance than what I actually yeah. have. But I like that question. And that's one that I can uh, have properly articulated. And you guys can put up on your Facebook page or uh, wherever, you, wherever it be, because it'd probably be something that people are interested in. Yeah, definitely. So I'm a member of the CCFR and CSSA and the NFA. Um, and I know they've all got different insurance packages. Um, yeah, I'll, but I, and they, they do kind of compete in different areas on those packages, don't they? Yeah. So they, I'm just looking at the website now. So they have something called a legal, uh, firearm legal defense insurance. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I'm just trying to understand like that would be different than what you guys. So firearms are. legal defense insurance was something that was put forth by, uh, Capri insurance by an individual, I forget his name, but he's, if you go on YouTube. He's got a YouTube channel called the right edition. 
interesting fellow. Um, he brought forward the idea to Capri Insurance. I think it was Zach who uh, was able to put boots to the ground and get that going. I never truly understood firearms legal defense from the standpoint of if you are charged with a criminal act, there is no insurance policy that will support or pay for anything that's criminal. So it kind of really narrowed down what the firearms legal defense insurance can do. But Zach's done a fantastic job of being Johnny on the spot, responding to people's uh, concerns and questions on all four. He, I see him on Reddit. I see him on Facebook. He's on the, on the gun forums and providing real life examples of what that actually covers. Now I'm told there is an aspect of legal defense insurance that is uh, included, and this is from our insurance company, under the Silver Core insurance, how that compares and what it covers, it's probably something I should get completely fleshed out and up on the website because I don't, I don't 100% understand. But I think that would be a good one that we can throw up on the, uh, on your Facebook page. Yeah, I was thinking the, the scenario I'm always worried about is say you, you know, like I have a pistol, I have my ATT, but sometimes the paperwork, you know, you try and keep it in the box with it, but you put it in a different box, and then now you're out there, and you don't have. Um, a specific piece of paperwork that goes with that firearm uh, right. you get pulled over and you know worst case scenario it seems crazy you'd be charged for that but in theory that's actually possible there is a lot of in theory things that you could get charged for and having been in this game for a little bit of time now i've seen a number of these things i've heard of a number of these things and acting as a subject matter expert for the courts i've been involved in a number of these so when you start thinking, Mike, that's ridiculous. Who's ever going to charge you for having that piece of paper missing from your, uh, uh, on your, when you're transporting it? Well, there are instances when these things do happen and it's unfortunate. And most of the time, I mean, you can't expect a, a police officer to be an expert in every aspect of the laws, particularly firearms laws. And this is one of the reasons why we encourage our students Take that plain English guide to the firearms laws that the firearms program puts together and bring that with you, bring it with you when you're transporting your firearms and you don't have to stand up and say, Oh no, no officer uh, section ABC of the firearms act regulations says you just hold up this piece of paper and say, look at, I'm, I'm complying by this. I'm doing everything I can. And maybe you can uh, take a look at it and call a supervisor if you need to. So, yeah. um, yeah, they're, they're I, I'm, I'm treading, I'm, I'm watching very carefully what I say, because I, I want to make sure that we, we keep things in a very positive light as we, uh, as we move this forward. But there are times that are, there are unfortunate circumstances when people have found themselves in situations really through no fault of their own, and they could be facing some very serious legal repercussions. Whose who's kitchen's being reorganized right now? That's, that's me. I apologize. Okay. Um, Sorry. I'm like, someone's got dinner coming here. Yeah. That's okay. Sorry. It's um, Kai, sorry. It's Kai off there, Travis. Hey, it's okay. No. I said um, one other scenario you could just throw out there would be um, like, like the 50, uh, 50 cow Beowulf mags or, you know, LAR mags and guns that you wouldn't expect them to be in. Um, is that kind of a scenario that you think might be covered? I, I can't speak a hundred percent, but that's one I can look at. But I mean, that is something that's fairly well understood by the firearms program. And there are bulletins out there that speak about the magazine, the intended firearm that that magazine was created for. Sort of like if you have a Glock 22 and 40 caliber and you got a Glock 17 and nine millimeter and you've got 10 rounds in your nine millimeter magazine, but you take that 40 cal mag out that holds 10 40 cal guess what it'll hold more than 10 9 mil rounds yeah. and it'll feed pretty flawlessly perfectly legal and they put bulletins out on that um that doesn't mean that you can't find yourself in a situation where you could possibly end up uh having somebody interpret things a little bit differently there's a ruger 1022 10 plus magazines you know i'm, I'm not i'm not a legal expert i'm not a lawyer but the, uh, I do know that the Butler Creek 25 round magazines, they turned around and said, hold on a second. It'll fit in the charger pistol. Pistol means 10 
you can only have 10 rounds, even though the charger pistol came out after the 1022. And even though, uh, there is a bulletin that's been put out. And I think that's essentially what the whole, whole, uh, argument hinges around at the moment is an RCMP bulletin. I haven't seen anything in law that has supported this. Ian Runkle, I think has done some, um, uh, some talks on this one. Runkle but I also know Runkle of the Bailey YouTube. Runkle of the Bailey. The Last Garms, right across from me, has created a uh, their own magazine that, for the 1022. So you can have 25 rounds again. Uh, it requires a slight modification to your 1022. And so it doesn't, uh, it will not accept those Butler Creek mags. And I think there are other places that are doing the same thing. Yeah, Spectre Ballistics, I think, came out with their right. little receiver or whatever. Mm hmm. Mm. So interesting. And that, that goes down a little bit of a rabbit hole Absolutely. and one, one that I'm definitely not legally <laughs> qualified to speak on when I work for the courts, it's basically talking about my area of expertise. So that's usually going to be something that's weapons related. I've dealt with brass knuckle cases, uh, conductive energy weapons. Um, I've dealt suppressors, full auto firearms type stuff. Uh, cause we are licensed for those prohibited type of, uh, weapons and firearms. And that's, I will opine and provide information on that. And then it's up to the courts to be able to make the number one, put an appropriate amount of weight on that information. So they might look at me and say, well, thank you very much, Mr. Bader. I really appreciate all the work you put into this, but the amount of weight that we ascribe to it is going to be fairly low based on what it is. And number two, or maybe they'll look at it and say it's fairly high. And thankfully so far that has been the case. Um, for my ego, I guess, thankfully. <laughs> and, um, number two, then they have to use that information to try and come up with a decision that, uh, that makes sense for the case. But, but on the legal you, side. You, yes. Uh, super quick. You, you mentioned brass knuckles. So G10 mm -hmm. knuckles are above board. Sorry, uh, which ones? Uh, like, like knuckles made of G10, like a plastic, um, it, fiberglass version of it. So if it's specifically designed to be sort of a brass, not a uh, metallic or hard material that surrounds the fingers and uh, essentially uses a weapon, it's prohibited. But some interesting things that aren't prohibited would be a carabiner, uh, a pair of scissors if you hold them backwards. Yeah. Uh, an ulu, like an Escobo ulu. I don't know. It's a blade essentially that goes across. Uh, not prohibited. Perfectly legal. Yeah. Uh, Really, I mean, at some point, uh, on, on a quick Google, I can just look up in for sale in Canada by tacticalgadgets.ca. Tactical Gadgets G10 Knuckles looks exactly the same, but made, of, really? made of plastic. Interesting. Yeah. Does it surround the fingers? Or does it go? I mean, oh, yeah. does it surround each finger? Like, oh, yeah. It's exactly looks exactly the same. I've seen those keychain things as well. Yeah. It's like a, like a kitty cat with two ears. <laughs> Right. Well, is that supposed to be like a car scraper? And I think at some point intent really has to, and again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm sure Ian would have, maybe I'll bring this up when I talk with Ian next. Yeah. But, uh, I, intent, I would think would have to come into play at some point. Like what was the intended purpose of whatever it was? And usually an officer can usually pretty quickly articulate that. Well, the intended purpose was the guy was yeah. using it on this other fellow in, in an assaultive way. Yeah, I think Ian likes that example of like the, the knife with a pen attached to it. Like now mm. it's a tool. It has a pen. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember decades ago back home in Sweden, a lot of uh, a lot of people started carrying screwdrivers around mm. uh, for stabbing instead of knives because it but then so then the law had to catch up and they called them street fighting implements. They should uh, make stabbing illegal. Because, well, because, <laughs> of, because of the intent there, right? Right. Um, all right, circling back to guns. Mm. Yes. Um, anything else you want to talk about, Silvercore? I'm going to throw. I'm going to plug your thing here. Well, I appreciate um, that. Um, yeah, Silvercore.ca. Let's see. We've talked about the training that we do, uh, the club. I guess there's other things that go with the club too. I mean, we've been doing firearm storage for uh, a number of club members. Uh, we provide free storage for a certain period of time. Uh, COVID has kind of thrown a bit of a wrench in that, but I think we've gotten that one figured out. And mm -hmm. uh, well, 
questions. People will quite often come up with their questions. And at the very least, obviously I can't give a legal opinion, but we can point them in the direction if they have a legal matter to people, lawyers who will specialize in what they require and also point people in the direction of the commonly accepted answers that are out there. So that that's a resource that a lot of our club members will take advantage of. Just, can I do this? Can I do that? And uh, some of the things we'll throw up on the website, some will be a little bit more specific to them. And so we'll just uh, deal with them as they come up. Uh, the podcast is something that I'm really passionate about. I've been investing a little bit here. I don't know if I'm. Yes, able to... take us. Take uh, Travis was showing this before we start recording. Let's see your cameras. I'll, I'll see if I can do this. All right, Pretty so it's on me right now. I'll cut over to here. Uh, let's see. I so that I would got... be your that would be your guest. That's a guest one. Yeah. Uh, wow. Cool studio. There we go. Yeah, so you're better. seeing. Let me put this on multi view. Oh, there you go. I can see what you're looking at now. So this is a studio. I made this table out of some hardware store cedar and just welded up a little steel frame for it and started putting uh, sound panels throughout here. This is my old office. I have turned the office into a uh, podcast studio and then we got a little filming area just on the side for the online courses that we do and, and mm -hmm. online training programs and uh, ended up setting up uh, the office staff over at a, it's over a hundred year old heritage building and said, 10 minute walk or a five minute skateboard from my house. So, uh, it's, uh, this is about a 10 minute drive from my house. So I pretty cent centrally located here. I'll see if I can put it back to cut. Eight. You got, uh, you're going to be the Joe Rogan of guns. <laughs> <sighs> I, I don't know about that. Honestly, on the podcast side, I'd never even listened to a podcast prior. I, I haven't really listened to a podcast. I went to one live episode of meat eater i got to meet steve ranella and janice and janice oh, awesome. anyways and actually i uh, met april Voki there who we've done a podcast with and um, she's um, a re world-renowned uh, spay fisher she's in australia at the moment but a local bc resident and been doing some work with her on um, with her uh, company anchored outdoors i and then I was on one podcast, a friend of mine, he says, Trav, you want to speak on a podcast? And I was super nervous. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. We get down here and get the recorder out and you brought some beers over and <laughs> do this little podcast. I think we talked about gun cleaning or firearms maintenance. And I finally, I thought as shy as I am about being in the public eye, I think it's time that I kind of just stepped out and provided a bit of a voice for what Silvercore does and kind of what's out there because I didn't feel like I was doing the industry any services by keeping all of this information to myself. So I picked up some microphones and I just got the cameras, I think a couple of weeks ago and been slowly growing the, the, uh, podcast and the direction of the podcast. So it's, um, it's been fun. It's been a challenge, but it's been fun. I've I've only ever listened to the one. I shouldn't admit this. I've only listened to the one episode of yours, and that was I think it was episode forty-two that spread like a wildfire. Is that the uh, SAS one? That's the uh, one about paintball guns, right? Because you went on a little bit of a monologue about half an hour into it for about a, a while, I think 10, 15 minutes, and I found you to be incredibly well articulate. Um, so you've definitely been doing the industry a disservice by not coming on the air quicker or sooner. Well, Swally, I, I appreciate and that. For, and for the, for the, uh, for the listeners that aren't going to be tuning into this live, uh, Travis is, is a handsome fellow with a luscious beard, probably four feet between the shoulders, a hell of a man here, very well articulated. I suggest you check out his podcast because he's got some very smart things to say. Thanks, Swally. I appreciate that. Oh, very welcome. Uh, so your podcast is on every second Tuesday. The next one is tomorrow, tomorrow at tomorrow. 4 AM. I, I set it to auto go out at four o'clock in the morning. And that way, hopefully the podcast, uh, providers will have it ready. If people wanted to drive in and listen to it, mm -hmm. it like, it's a pretty cool one that's coming out tomorrow. Like this, uh, Nikki, not only does she survive 51 days on her own out in the Arctic, but she spent, how long was it? I think it was a year, year and a half 
on a remote West Coast island, just her, her cat, and one other fellow making her own clothing, making her own cooking utensils, but just, and she wrote a book on it called um, Becoming Wild and no very, doubt. very inspirational person. I, I think people will enjoy that one. And it's from a hunter's perspective. She gives advice on stalking animals and she talks about getting close enough up to deer to be able to touch them as she's uh, stalking them. So some, some good tips and tricks in there too. I think after a certain amount of time in the wild, you kind of pick up the, you kind of become one with nature. <laughs> I, think so. I would think so. Yes. Scent wise. Yeah. They're like, yeah, you smell yeah. like one of us. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Uh, anything else before we start wrapping up or should we start wrapping up? It's all good. Um, Silvercore, www.silvercore.ca. And you guys have office hours as well. Somebody can phone. Yeah. We're nine to five Monday through Friday. Okay. And then get us through Facebook Messenger, through emails, info at silvercore.ca. And if you're, you know, one thing I would encourage people, if they listen to podcasts and they really like something or they want something more, we actually set one up, podcast at silvercore.ca. If they have, like, we'll be, I'll be doing another episode with Ian Runkle, and we've got a number of our, our club members have put in a number of questions that they want specifically mm -hmm. asked. Michael, if you have questions like those good ones that you're just asking, I will ask Ian specifically on your behalf and we'll get his, his, uh, legal opinion on, like, uh, as, as far as that can be done. I don't know if you can call that a, yeah. a professional legal opinion, but we'll, we'll get his thoughts on the matter. That'd be great. Michael's the newest awesome. member to the podcast team. He's by far the most quiet, but when he puts out a question, it is a bombshell. Like it's so much thought behind it and it really gets people talking. Yeah, it's um, fantastic. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, I, I, had a question, I had a question here as well from Doug. Um, your podcast is available where? That is linked through uh, silvercore.ca? Yes. So we put it through YouTube, and then we throw it up on all of the major podcast providers. So the, the number one quick, podcast. Quick, quick question. Who's Tiffany? That'd be my wife. What's she asking? Oh, look at that. She's watching right now. So <laughs> apparently she gave a very long URL here where people can click on. Uh, that should give them the uh, a clickable link where they can check it out. But uh, they can get it on Apple and the Google Store and all the rest, Google Play or whatever. What's it's the called. name of it? Because I know you can search it. So what's the name of the podcast? It's called the Silvercore Podcast. The Silvercore Podcast. Mm. Okay. The Silvercore Podcast available on most streaming services, I assume. Basically all of them. I spent a fair bit of time trying to get them out there. And if you find one, if people say it's not available on mine, let me know and I'll get it up there. Okay. And then you also have a YouTube. We put it up on YouTube right away as well. So awesome. launches and that's everyone can find YouTube. Perfect. And same thing there, Silvercore, Silvercore Podcast on YouTube. That's right. We also transcribe our incomplete podcast. So if you're one of these types who wants to uh, just get to the main guts of it, you can go mm -hmm. on our website. We've got full transcripts of everything. You can cut oh, and sure. paste or search whatever you want. And then uh, if we're doing a podcast with somebody else like CUSF or whomever it might be, we make sure to get all the links in mm -hmm. about specific items that we talk about. So if we talk about um, like the CZ that was talked about earlier, if we talked about that, we'd have a link and someone can click over and find that right away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> thanks doug you know let's let's talk more about that later about the transcribing once we mm. finish recording let's i gotta remember to ask about that or one of you two boys um all right let's wrap her up um do you want to do sponsors again quick dave or do we have, do we have um, anything uh, coming up we do so we got two events coming up um the first one on may 18th we're doing a uh, online shotgun 101 seminar and so this is just our, our Shotgun 101 um, curriculum, which is designed to take you from the, the never having held a shotgun before to breaking plays uh, left and right. And I'm sure, uh, yeah, like even even if you know your stuff, there'll be uh, lots to learn. So yeah, that's uh, next Tuesday. And then, is that is um, that sorry? That's our webinar. Yeah, Shotgun yeah. 101 webinar. Okay. And you have the opportunity to win a um, Maverick 88, courtesy of the gun dealer. Nice. And like the, like the previous one, there's a registration for this as well, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can find it all on our Facebook, social media, wherever, uh, website, Rio. Yeah. CUSF um, forward slash webinar, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. CUSF.ca slash webinar. Perfect. 
Um, and then, yeah, after that, we have um, June 20th is our inaugural um, Outlaw Rimfire Precision Series match. Um, uh, we're creating a, a student division with those guys. So, yeah, we're running a little trial match here in Calgary. So that's open to any of our student members going to the UFC or, or Mount Royal. So. Oh, uh, happy birthday to now. Rick, I think I saw on Facebook. Oh, yeah, Rick Antonio. Was that today, yesterday? Yeah, I think today. Yeah, the daddy of the 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 uh, the Canadian Precision Rimfire Series, uh, thirty seven, I think I saw. Hey, happy birthday, Rick! Just a pop. Um. All right. Uh. All right. Well, uh, do you want to do a quick sponsors as well? Yeah. So big thank you to Cabela's, Beretta, uh, Vortex, and the uh, the Stittsville Shooting Ranges. Um, obviously huge to have their sponsorship and support so make sure to um, put your money with these uh, awesome organizations that are supporting us mm -hmm. all right uh, thank you travis for coming on that's been really nice uh please stick around afterwards if you have a few minutes we'll do a little bit of an after segment there um following us today tomorrow uh make sure to check out the other podcasts of the week we've got the first focal plane boys on tuesday uh what what's what's rick's rimfire podcast called it's quite new oh, i'm not sure he's on wednesdays well, the first four complaint boys um they're tuesdays rimfire wednesdays and then slam fire radio on thursdays every thursday uh so yeah make sure you guys give them uh, give them lots of love as well and uh check us out uh we'll like travis we're also on youtube and also check out our podcast, searchable at um, Down the Barrel with the CUSF on all your major streaming services. That's Down the Barrel with the uh, CUSF. Um, all right. Thanks very much, guys. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll send you guys a link again shortly here. Thanks very much for having me. Really enjoyed uh, it. Thank you very much. Thank you again for tuning in. We meet again on the next podcast.